We were talking at dinner last night about going to England and Scotland, and and I was talking about, oh, so fun going here and there. And one of the kids goes, uh, oh, you've been to England? I said, see. Sí. They're like, what? Is that Spanish answer? To <laughs> very confusing. We're very confusing. Yeah. Uh, I do, I do want to echo uh, Jake and just, I know that authority, the discipline when they're young, uh, man, there's a lot of wisdom there in establishing authority. And I see a lot of parents uh, not establishing authority, maybe the best way to put it. Um letting their kids do what they want, you know, and I would say that that comes back to bite you down the road. Uh, Not establishing that authority at a young age is hard to reclaim later. Um, It really bears a lot of good fruit when you are diligent and you establish that authority at a young age. When your kids respect you, um, when you establish authority, they look at you with respect, and I'll tell you, when they're 13 and 14 and 7 and 18, if they respect you uh, and you have their ear, that goes a long way. Um, and our daughter, Lily, she works at, uh, she does child care for um, Fort Sanders. She is getting uh, all kinds of, uh, she's getting a view into all kinds of different parenting techniques dealing with these kids. Some of your kids go there, so she may have some input for you, you know. She's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, saw the Edwards this week. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, she loves them. She thinks they're great. She was telling us this week, we're asking her about work, and she was like, yeah, there was this little boy in there, and he was just not, he was not, like, easy to work with. He was a complainer. He had a bad attitude. The mom came to get him. The mom, it's like there's a two-hour limit, like, on how long the kids can be in there. The mom came back at, like, an hour 59. Like, Lily's like, I know exactly what's happening. You don't want to be around this kid. We don't want to be around this kid. And she said the mom was like, it's time to go, and we got to get out of here. We got to get home. And the kid said no. <laughs> and, uh, man, everyone's been there. It's like, that's a terrifying moment as a parent. Like, okay, how how far are we going to take this in public right now? <laughs> like, they're all judging me. And uh, and so the mom said, you know, I'm going to count to three. I never got the counting thing. I, where do, I don't know where that comes from. Like, we've never done the counting thing. Like, does that really motivate a kid? Like, oh, I don't know what happens at three. Uh, what Lily found out is nothing happens at three. So the mom counted to three. The kid just sat there ignoring her. And the mom said, I'm counting to ten. <laughs> I don't know. Nothing happened to three. Is something going to happen at ten? Nothing happened, counted to 10, the kid didn't move, you know. And uh, so finally the mom just used manipulation and said, okay, I'm leaving you, we're leaving you now. You're going you're to be here all by yourself. And the mom just left, you know. And uh, she said the, the, the kid finally, like, got, you know, fearful and took off after the mom. And I was like, how old is this kid? Lily said, 11 or 12. I was like, what? <laughs> Like it was the old, I was, I was like, wow. And she's like, all kinds, she's, she's giving me all kinds of parenting feedback, parenting techniques. And it just makes me, she, she has learned, man, like it's good to have authority. It's good, it's good your kids learn to obey. It's good to really uh, establish that respect at a young age with your children. I think a lot of what's happening is you are teaching them, this is how the world works. This is what we do and we don't do. But it's a lot of, I'm going to lead you through this. I'm leading you. 
I'm in charge. I'm the one that's going to guide you. I think kids like that. It helps them. We were babysitting. Uh, we had a, there was a thing going on at Fairgate, and we, were, we had some uh, kids. We were babysitting old high school friends of Elizabeth who aren't Christians. And, um, uh, you know, we were kind of leading them through the day, and they were difficult at different points and, and not helpful. And one of the girls was very, very upset. She was a little girl. She was very upset. Um, that, you know, she didn't get what she wanted, this certain toy, and they weren't letting her have it, and she was on the ground. She was just laying on the ground, just her head on the ground, just arms, just totally by her side, just throwing a fit on the ground. It was, I was like, you, this is so cute and just pitiful, you know, like that this is, like people respond to this. And I got her up, and I looked at her, and I said, listen, you have two choices right now, okay? You can either do this, or I'm going to tell, you know, your parents what's going on, and and she responded and ran, and and uh, Freeman was like, I think she likes being led. I think she likes someone like telling her, here's what's going to happen right now. And I was like, I think, I think kids do like being led. I think they like the comfort of authority and it's helpful knowing mom and dad's got my back and they're going to tell me and they're going to guide me. So I think it's really important what Jake is teaching. And now we're going to focus on ages six and above. This is where, you know, it seems complicated when it's younger. If you have younger kids and you're like, this is hard and they disobey, Oh, man, I don't want to tell you what's coming because it doesn't get easier. It is physically exhausting when they're young. It is emotionally exhausting as they get older. It is just exhausting, uh, heart issues and getting into these things. So there's four buckets kind of as we go back to that shepherding analogy of shepherding their hearts. Now, you're establishing this authority at a young age. As they're growing up, there's kind of four buckets Maybe the easiest way to kind of think about it, four categories to shepherd their hearts as they're getting older, to know, to know them, know the sheep, uh, to teach them, you're continuing to teach them, to lead them, and then to protect them from wolves. Those are kind of four buckets that uh, I, I think about, you know. Number one, do I know them? Do I know what's going on with them? So ages six through 12 and above really are formative years uh, it's a transition time where they're moving into the teen years, and you want to understand this season. Uh, there's a growing awareness of the world around them, so questions are often less innocent maybe than they seemed in the younger years. They're probably picking up on things. They're hearing things. Uh, they're wondering about things. There's a deepening understanding of their hearts, so there's more able to articulate. This is what's going on, you know. I remember one of our kids just uh, asking them, do you know wh- why you're doing this? And uh, he said, yes, I'm very, very angry. It's like, thank you. That's exactly right. That's what I was going to tell you. you. You're discerning. That's what's going on with your heart. Now let's talk about why that's wrong and sinful. And what does the Lord have to say about that? They're, they have a growing awareness of other people, friendships, little buddies they have. You know, they're picking up on conversations a lot more. Um, you see them listening in, kind of paying attention to words they don't know. Uh, they have an expanding circle of influences. So there's friendships and teachers and media, and uh, they're hearing all kinds of information. They're processing and learning about these things. Many ideas are taking shape, which will form their worldview. So I will tell you this. Don't wait until the teenage years to build a worldview into your kids. It starts at a young age. Um, it starts with little questions, understanding about God creating us male and female, God creating us as husband and wife. I remember um, one of our kids asked a question um, that I 
that I, I thought was, they were pretty young, and they were asking about sex, like what, how, how, trying to understand something. And I got really nervous. I was like, oh, no, I'm going to have to explain this. I'm not ready for this. Like, they're too young for this. And I talked to Jeff Hodgson, like, what do I do? And he gave me really good counsel. He said, just give them enough to answer their question from a biblical worldview. You don't have to explain everything to them. Just give them enough to answer their question. And so I went back to the kid, and uh, we were talking about this. And it was a real, it was kind of a, you know, they, they just wanted to know, like, if something was okay. And I said, you know, the way God designed it is, to have a kid, you really got to have a husband and a wife together. And he was like, oh, okay, thanks. And he just like done. And I was like, oh, oh, sure. oh gosh. Whew. Whew. Really, it's all he needed to know, you know. Uh, but that was worldview shaping. Uh, someone was texting me, a dad was texting me yesterday about uh, an eight-year-old, just like, you know, questions about gender. They're starting to pick up things going on in the culture. And I said, we have several books in the bookstore uh, there's one about gender and male and female, how God created us that way. These are worldviews that are being shaped at this age. They're beginning to understand their world, and you want to start building them in ways they can understand. They're, they're growing in independent thinking, decision-making. You want to encourage that. You want them to make wise decisions. You want to expand their opportunities to make wise decisions. You can see this chart in your outline. This is from Randy Stinson does this. I have several quotes from him. But he shows the cultural pattern which I've seen to be true, and when kids are very young, we give them a lot of freedom. Um, parents are asking their kids, what do you want to wear? What do you want to eat? What do you want to do? You know, what do you think right now? And then what happens as the kids get older, they try to rein that in. Uh, that does not work, I will tell you that. It does not work that way. Once you've given up that authority and they've been making their decision for 10 years, and they decide what they want to wear every day, and then all of a sudden they go to middle school and they're wearing something you don't want them to wear, and you say, you can't wear that. Uh, you gave that up a long time ago, and it's going to be a battle to get that back. And so I like the biblical pattern of we're authority, we're making decisions for them. You know, when they're little, we're dressing them. We're telling them, this is what we eat at dinner time. This is the food we eat. That's just the way it is. You don't get to decide, you know. Uh, and then as they get older, What's happening is we're somewhere in the middle here of this chart where they're beginning to make decisions. You know, you're allowing them to dress themselves, to get ready for the day. And if they make an unwise decision, you're going to put a new outfit on them and change their outfit. I have a, a, a funny picture of Knox when he was little. Elizabeth was out of town one weekend, and he wasn't used to dressing himself. Elizabeth picked out his outfit every day, and I was like, hey, buddy, just go pick something out and put it on, you know? And he came upstairs with, like, these corduroy pants and he had this T-shirt and this vest. I don't know where he got it from. And it was like the vest was tucked into his pants. And I just took a picture of him and I told Elizabeth, you can't go out of town anymore. Like this is what happens when you leave. Like he's not wise enough to make this decision yet. I learned that. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't discerned how to dress just yet. But you're, you're getting the season of introducing decisions and choices. And you're shepherding them. You're, you're learning. What kind of decision do they make? What are they thinking? How do they think about this? And then you're helping them make wise decisions. Randy Simpson says this. Instead of being a control freak who tries to micromanage your children, it means coaching them to make good decisions when you're not around and then giving them opportunities to put that coaching into practice through new learning and training experiences. In the same way that rules without relationship leads to rebellion, we also know that a relationship with Christ is not built on following rules, but on following a person. 
We have to cultivate in our children an ability to trust and follow us so that we can help them trust and follow Christ. And so we're learning. How are they thinking? What's going on with them? Uh, to, to know them and help them takes time and relationship. So similar in the younger years. It just takes a lot of relationship. So they're going to be increasing in interests and hobbies, getting into flag football and other things, and they're interacting with other kids. And these are all opportunities to learn. How are they thinking? You know, what, what have they learned? Where are they uh, misapplying or not understanding God's word? There's more conversations. They're talking more with their buddies. They're beginning to do more reading and being introduced to new concepts, uh, growing awareness of their bodies, distinctions in between being male and female. And so as they're shepherds, as you're shepherding them, it's really important in the season to know them. This, this, especially when they go into the teenage years. You really want to know what's going on with them. You want to know what they're thinking. You want to know how they're processing this. Co- communication is everything. Uh, Ted Tripp says, almost everything you're going to want to accomplish in your kids' lives as teenagers comes through communication. Everything that happens comes through communication. Now, you're not spanking them anymore at that point when they're teenagers, at least probably not, you know. Uh, and so everything is just talking. Just talking, 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 processing, learning, dialogue, you know. So you want to be building that in these years where we're just, we're talking about everything. We're talking about our day. We're talking about our buddy's conversation. We're talking about what happened in that movie. You know, we're talking about what we heard there. We're talking about how flag football practice went and how you responded when you didn't get that position or this person did that to you. So tons of conversation, learning them and understanding what's going on in their hearts. Number two, so that's bucket number one. Bucket number two is you're, you're feeding them. You're feeding the sheep. So we're feeding them the word of God. Uh, the, the word of God has to be center of everything we do. So this is where as parents I have found personally, uh, it's challenged me. It's made me go, I need to go back to God's word. I need to be thinking. I need to have a Bible on our dining room table just waiting there so I can open it up in any moment. So it's made me go, I need to search God's word and be thinking about how can I apply this to them? How does this apply in this moment? You know, how does God's word instruct us through these things? You can't just leave it to them at this age to figure it out for themselves. It really takes you. And so, again, it's going to be a reflection of your heart. Do you love God's word? Are you processing things by scripture and God's word? Uh, This is a quote by Randy Stinson again. He says, the tragedy in many homes today is that children grow up to be successful, but not in the things that matter most. With copious investment from their parents, they learn to behave well, collect numerous trophies, land nice scholarships to great colleges, and secure rewarding jobs, but don't have a discernible heart for God. It's never enough to just focus on behavior, to train children to obey you immediately, sit up straight, not interrupt, do their schoolwork faithfully, and so on. These things are important when you're establishing authority. As they get older, you have to do a work in their heart. As you've probably heard along the way, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. This is especially true as your children move past the stage where they are fairly easy to control physically. Once they start experiencing more freedoms, you have to increasingly lead them through the influence of an engaging relationship. So they're getting big. You know, we have this moment where our boys got big and Elizabeth was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, he can beat me up. Like, you know, there's moments dad have to get engaged and involved. But it's also 
This is about relationship. You know, we've established this authority, and now it's just lots of heart work, lots of conversation, lots of feeding them God's word. This is both proactive and reactive. Um, this, this quote is uh, from Ted Tripp. He says, everyday life affords scores of opportunities to connect scripture to life. From lost book bags to broken friendships and poor test grades, scores of training opportunities evaporate without notice as we hurry through our days thinking that devotional time with our children is enough. Our responses to the circumstances and crises of everyday life make our theology real. Um, Self-confession, I was never great at family devotions. I tried so many different things. I mean, I really like put a lot of effort into it. I went too far when the kids were younger, like we're going to have illustrations and we're going to, everyone's going to sit on the carpet. Dad's got a sermon for you. And within five minutes, they're like rolling and distracted. And I would get so frustrated. Like I've worked so hard at this, like pay attention. This is the most important thing. And then later on, I was like, okay, let's just open up the Bible. I don't know. What do you guys want to read tonight? Like, just randomly flipping around. And I like family devotions, but honestly, I think what we've learned is it's, it's they're helpful moments for teaching, but it's really all those moments throughout the day that add up. It's how you respond when, uh, you know, something negative happens or you have a struggle. There's a temptation going on in their heart. Those moments bringing God's word to bear, um, I think it gives you, you know, 20 devotions throughout the day, 20 moments to apply God's word. So I, I think you, you need both. The proactive, hey, we're going to read, we're going we're gonna to read books about missionaries, we're going to read uh, chapters of the Bible, you know, we're going to talk about theology, we're going to do catechism, all that stuff's good and helpful, but I think it's applying that throughout, that's not enough, it's, it's all the little moments throughout the day that we are instructing them and forming their worldview about who God is and how it really matters in our lives. Um, we had an illustration of that this week where uh, it, had, it really didn't have a lot to do with the kids, but they got involved very quickly because we had uh, a suit. This is very random, but we had a suit that we had loaned to a family in the church, and they had given it back to us on a Sunday morning and they needed to borrow the suit again for a funeral they were going to uh, is for one of the children that died in Nashville in the shooting. This family's going to the funeral. And so we we're wanting to serve them. They needed to grab the suit. They were heading out of town. And we went, okay, you know, the suit's in my closet. Suit's not in my closet. Okay, maybe it's upstairs in Knox's closet. Suit's not in Knox's closet. I was like, where in the world did this suit go? And uh, we had lost the suit. I don't know how you lose a suit, but we had lost a suit. We were looking everywhere. I mean, where were we playing it in our mind? Elizabeth's like, they handed it to me in the lobby on Sunday. I remember taking it into my hand, and I'm going, okay, where did it go next? Where, where did your hand carry it? I don't remember where the suit is. And we're just, you know, we're getting frustrated. What happened to the suit? Knox, did you put the suit somewhere? I didn't take the suit. You're lying. You did something with the suit. And then we just... Uh, you know, we stopped and we prayed. And we said, Lord, we want to serve this family. Help us find the suit, <laughs> please. And then Elizabeth said, maybe it's in the lost and found. I came back to the church, went through the lost and found, wasn't in the lost and found. I go back to the house. She's texting someone else who says, you know, there's multiple lost and founds. 
Yes, I know that. I work at the church. I know I looked, I looked in the other lost and founds. Are you sure you looked? I'm pretty sure. Okay, let's pray again. We prayed again. And then it turns out the family that had given it to us actually went home with it at church and it was in their house the whole time. Uh, but it was just like we were just instructing the kids. I mean, it was like we gathered around as a family and said, We talked about prayer and how the Lord hears us. And man, we were so anxious and we wanted to serve. And it was just. I just thought that that's parenting, you know, it's like it's all the little moments of life, how we respond and and going back and saying, you know, Elizabeth sharing with them, I was anxious and I didn't respond well and, and prayer helped. You know, we we're just teaching the kids. This is life. This is how you live life. Trusting the Lord. There's there's like a hundred of those moments every single week. This is formative instruction. We're forming our kids. OK, this is a Ted Tripp's definition. Formative instruction is teaching that forms our children. It enables them to root life in God's revelation in the Bible. It provides a culture for our children, a culture that is distinctly Christian. Formative instruction is before the problem instruction. So we're teaching them, you know, this is what it means. This is how we respond. This is how we're good friends. This is what life looks like. Times of corrective discipline are not the best context for this kind of instruction. So you don't want to be teaching them this while you're correcting them. You want to help them up front know this is what the Lord tells us to do in his word. I think that's what these scriptures mean. Colossians 3.21, fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Ephesians 6.4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline, in the instruction of the Lord. There's not a ton of verses about parenting, honestly, in the New Testament. It's interesting to me, some of the clearest ones to dads are don't provoke your children. I think you really need to study, what does that mean? Well, I think dads can be provoking to their kids by being angry and not instructing them and not helping them know how to trust the Lord and what the expectations are, you know? We can just come down hard on them without forming them and giving them this worldview. So what's the content of formative instruction? What are we teaching them? Uh, it's, it's the storyline of the Bible. It's God's word. If I could uh, break it down real simple, it's just God, sin, Christ, response. Almost everything we're teaching them can fall in one of those four gospel categories. You know, what does God say about this? What does this teach us about God? Who is God? How is God interacting with this? Uh, sin is a huge category our children need to understand. We need to be teaching them this is what sin is. Sin is your enemy. Sin is not your friend. Sin is opposed to you. Sin wants to keep you from doing the thing God calls you to do. Sin is not something we encourage. Sin is something we fight, we put to death. Um, sin is your enemy, you know. Uh, Christ died for sins. He came. He never sinned. He never disobeyed his parents. Um, he never got angry. He, he died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. We respond by turning from our sins through repentance and faith. How can we respond? Well, we repent. We ask God to forgive us, you know, and he does. He makes this promise as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. There's all these things in the story of the Bible that we need to be forming our kids with. And I think the goal is really, in these years, the goal is application. Uh, we want them to apply this to their lives in specific instances where they can apply, you know, towards friendships. What does this mean? What does the gospel say? What does God say that it means to be a good friend to this person? When this kid is 
disobeying their parents? How can you be a good friend to them? When this kid is slandering this other person, how do you respond? What does God say about that? These are ways that we're forming our children to live in God's world in a way that is distinctly Christian. Uh, I think this takes place, you know, primarily in the home. So this is where I just want to reemphasize, can't, can't delegate this to someone else. Uh, I don't think, and, and we've done every schooling there is possible. We've homeschooled, we've done private school, we've done public school, and I just learned, you know, teachers don't have the ability to, to teach this throughout the day perfectly. They can't reconcile every little thing. They can't teach. They're, they're, they're doing crowd control. You know, they're managing a classroom. We can't expect them to get into their hearts and shepherd. And this is our responsibility to do this in the home. Uh, the world is not going to give our children this kind of instruction. I promise you that. It's not taking place out there. Second uh, Timothy 3, 1 through 4. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, teaching moment. Go through that list and mention to your kids that one's in there. (laughs) Disobedient to their parents. It's a big deal along with that list. Ungrateful, unholy. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is the world we are, we are preparing our children to go out into with the good news of the gospel. I don't want them to be shocked by this or surprised by this. Understanding who God is, what sin is, what Christ has done, our response, it prepares them to enter this world. And you can't delegate this responsibility to someone else, okay? It's your, your job to teach your children these things. You know, the church supports us. The church helps us. Sunday morning, children's ministry, the sermon, this is all formative instruction. Our kids are learning. But I think the best thing about the church that I've discovered uh, is my kids come to church and they see, oh, this isn't, this isn't unique to our household. You know, this isn't just mom and dad, like everybody's doing this. My, my children's ministry teachers are saying the same thing about Jesus. And, and these children are having to obey their parents as well. And this is normal. This is what it means to be a Christian. You know, the church gives us a community where our kids can see, man, this is good. It's joyful. It's right. Everybody's together. You know, it's not just... Mom and dad, and, and they're, they're teaching me this. It's everybody has this culture and these expectations. This is from uh, Randy Stinson again. He says, home is the place where your leadership will be needed around the clock and where your vulnerabilities will be most obvious. But it's also the place where you have the potential to bear the most fruit as you shape little hearts for eternity. So much potential, so much opportunity to feed them God's word and to invest in them and and train them up in the way that they should go Uh, you know and the goal really is shepherding them towards conversion that's the goal we're looking for we want them to trust in Christ we want them to uh, treasure him and love him and I just can't keep emphasizing enough when you see that happen when you see your kids begin having a discernible heart for God Man, it's worth it. You just go, it's all worth it. 
It's just that's the answer to my prayer. That's what I've been praying for. We need the spirit to do that. Um, you never give up on them as they get older. You know, you just keep praying, keep investing, keep teaching, keep sharing the gospel. You know, it's several quotes from Spurgeon on there. I'll let you read those on your own. But this is the goal. It's their heart. It's, it's their heart being captured by Christ. And all these things you're teaching them are showing them that um, this is true. You know, this is real. This is, this is not just uh, some game we're playing. But Christ is real and God is real. And we love him with all of our hearts. Uh, let me, uh, a little bit about corrective discipline. In these years when they're getting a little bit older, uh, Hebrews 12. So this is a great scripture talking about discipline. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. That's a rhetorical question. Uh, you know, it doesn't exist. That's what Paul is saying or the author of Hebrews, I should say, is saying it's it's if you're a father, you discipline your children as they get a little older. It gets a little bit harder because when they're younger, it's very much focused on obedience. It's very much focused on, I told you to do this. You didn't do that. You're going to get a spanking. Now you're forgiven. And now we go back to play. You know, it's great. I know it's exhausting. I know you guys are like, this is so hard. And I remember that feeling. Like, I just do this all day. Uh, and then I remember they got older thinking, this is really hard because you can't just spank them and get back to playing because you're dealing with heart issues. And the discipline is more connected to their character and what's going on in their life. You know, you got, you got, a, you got a, a 12-year-old who lies about something. You can't just spank him and say, let's get back to work. You know, you have to dig in there and say, why did you lie? What was going on beneath there? You know, why? Why? Why were you afraid? What, do you, what, what did you think was going to happen? And they don't always know the answer. I don't know. I was just afraid. I was concerned. I thought I was going to get in trouble. Yeah, you were going to get in trouble. And, and, uh, but you got to get in there. And discipline, more often than not, is connected to the, the ways that they're sinning or disobeying at that age. So it's removing privileges. It's restricting freedoms. If you go back to that chart, you're in a season where you're giving them more freedoms and opportunities. And as they show not to be trustworthy or they lie or they have character issues, you're restricting those freedoms a little bit. And it gets really fun. What gets fun, I think, is when they're 15, 16 and you trust them and you give them freedoms and they make wise decisions and they're thoughtful and they're considerate. You're just like, this is a miracle of God's grace. But all of that's building when they're 7, 8, 10. And you're giving them a little bit of freedom and then they, they, they sin or they don't do it right. And you're bringing them back. You're restraining them in, you know, saying, I gave you an opportunity. Let's talk through why you made that decision. This is all formative instruction. You're teaching them. Uh, bucket number three, leading. And I, this is the one thing I will tell you guys. As your children get older, they need you more, not less. They need you more, not less. So as we're going up this chart, this biblical pattern of giving them more freedoms, giving them more freedoms does not mean they need less leadership. It actually means they need more leadership. They need more. I hate to tell you that, but they're going to need more out of you than the younger years. They need your leadership. Uh, and it's, it just takes longer. 
It just takes more time to help them make wise decisions. Telling them what to do is no longer a one-step process. It's a multi-step process with many speed bumps along the way. Uh, It just takes time getting into their hearts. So leadership should increase as they get older, not decrease. And I think what I see parents doing is as their kids get more freedom, uh, they do tend to just allow them to make their own decisions. Uh, they put them in front of a screen. They, they send them off just to play with other kids and assume everything's going to go okay. I, I think I would be careful with that. I think they need your leadership. They need you watching how they're playing together with other kids. I remember the first time um, we went over to another couple's house, had us over for dinner, and they, they had kind of a playroom, and they were like, oh, we just thought we'd put the kids in there and let them play, and uh, we're just going to have like adult conversation down here. And we did that for about five minutes, and I was very uncomfortable. And I told them, I'm sorry, I, I need to go check on them. Like, I don't trust my kids to do this right now. Like, I don't trust them upstairs with the shut door playing with your kids. I have no idea what they're doing. They, I don't even know if they're alive up there right now. Like, and I remember it offending the dad that I did that. Like, you don't trust your kids? Uh, no, I don't. Like, <laughs> you trust your kids? Because I don't trust your kids either. I hate to tell you that. But, and so I remember going up there and hanging out with the kids and spending time with the kids, you know? And I, and I just thought it, I need to be with them. But I think there's something there where I think our temptation is to kind of start pulling back. And what I want to tell you is during these years, you, you can't do that. You have to push in. And it happens when they're teenagers as well. They got more freedoms, they're making more decisions, they have their driver's license, they're out and about. Uh, It just means they need more and more of your leadership in their life. So you never stop leading, you never stop shepherding, you never kind of say, my job is done, that doesn't happen. It transitions um, where they're seeking input, they're coming to you, they're talking to you, they're sharing, but your leadership is needed through these years so much. Uh, Randy Stenson He has eight areas to lead with intention. Um, You know, I think those are helpful categories just to think through your leadership as your kids get older. I'm not going to walk through each one of those. Um, You know, are are we heading in a good direction? Uh, Imitation, watching me as your kids get older, they're going to start communicating with you more. So the imitation is not just doing what you do, but they're going to start sharing things about you. This is good. It's helpful. It hurts. Man, it's painful. Uh, Our kids are at a point now where they're 19. The oldest ones are 19 and 17, and they're giving us input on our parenting back in the day. And, man, it's painful, but it's so good. And they're telling the other kids, oh, yeah, you got it so easy. I got spanked so much, you know. And I'm like, you're not helping my cause right now. Uh, but you, you, they, they start to give you fee, uh, feedback and evaluation and, and questions, and they'll share what's going on. And these are just really good moments as a parent. Um, leadership increasingly involves time, relationship, you know, doing things with them together, having fun, communication. Uh, quote here by Paul Tripp. This is from The Age of Opportunity. He says, we all know that God's goal for our parenting is that we work ourselves out of a job. His plan is that we would be his instruments in producing children who are biblically mature 
ready to face life in a fallen world, ready to be salt and light, ready to be contributors to his kingdom work, no longer needing the day-to-day guidance that we have given them for so many years. That's the goal of shepherding their hearts, that they're going to be mature adults. And just keep hitting the same point, but they're just not going to get that from their peers. They're not going to get that from their friends. They're not going to teach them how to be mature. It really is the blind leading the blind. If you think they're going to get this from their buddies and, and, and their relationships, they get it from you. God's called you to do this. Last category, last bucket. So leadership has to keep increasing. You can't pull back. You can't let go. And then finally, just protecting them. Uh, this is a huge category today. As a shepherd, as we uh, shepherd our children, is protecting them from wolves. So just as we seek to physically protect our children, we have to spiritually protect them as well. I think about this in different categories. I think about this in relation to um, gender and sexuality and the message they're hearing today, protecting our kids, instructing them, feeding them God's word. I think about this in the category of technology. Um, You know, I see a lot of parents giving kids phones at a really young age I would, I, I, you know, obviously scripture is silent on this issue, so you're going to have to make a decision by looking at God's word. My, my concern is not so much the technology, it's the content. It's all the things on there. It's the worldview they're getting from these things. Um, I would, I, so I think about technology. I think about um, protecting my kids from other worldviews and things they're hearing from neighbors you know, going to neighbors' homes, who they're playing with, things they're saying, things they're hearing. So part of our our job, I think, as they get older is protecting our children. I would talk about the importance of the church, uh, protecting our kids. Uh, This is a quote from Ted Tripp again. He says, our families are a precious representation of the family of God with worship, training, leadership, submission, roles, schedule, laws, accountability, humility, unity, diversity, common goals, love, thanksgiving, praise, nurture, protection, refuge, healing, witness, hospitality, compassion, stewardship, consideration, forgiveness, servanthood, bearing one another's burdens, acceptance, encouragement, communion, companionship, admonition, rebuke, restoration, repentance, reconciliation, prayer, fellowship, just to name just a few. These qualities are essential to a healthy, happy family. The same qualities make the church an essential community for our children and us. We have just found the church to be such a blessing for us, for our kids, having friends who love the Lord, whose parents are leading them, who understand the same categories of obedience, who have the same worldview. Um, And what I've discerned is it, It's really, um, as I've seen kids transition into relay, it's a huge issue who their friends are. And it's a huge issue if kids, you know, don't love the church. And the biggest connection that I found over the years is really the parents. I will tell you that. Um, If you love the church and if coming to church is a blessing for you, and if you love being at church and you love going to community group and it's just, man, this is, this is a, an immovable thing on our schedule. What a privilege. What a joy. We get to sing with God's 
people. Mr. Zach's going to lead us in singing. Mr. Zach. Our kids are like, Mr. Zach should make an album. He's got like the best voice. And I tell him, no, he doesn't have a studio quality voice. You know, Mr. Bob has made this clear. But I love, I just love our kids look up to Zach leading singing. You know, I'm like, kids, we need to grow into sermon, you know, but I'm so happy you love going to church. They love Josh being up there. They love Mr. Bill. You know, they, they, they love coming into the sermon for the first time, coming out of children's ministry and having a notebook and taking notes. And they love when they get confused at a point and they're like, what, what does he mean by that? And they love when I say, I have no idea. I'm just as lost as you are. Like, you know, uh, but I found it's, it's when we love the church. And I just think that goes so far as they get older. And it's protecting our kids. It's giving them a community that's safe. It's giving them a community with the same worldview. Um, it's giving them community of friends who, who want to follow the Lord. And there's just so many good relationships and friendships and good things happening. So I think it's a great way to serve our families by building them into the local church. I know that sounds self-serving because I'm a pastor here. Honestly, I, I just, it, it doesn't, I don't care personally. I love you. I want your kids to succeed. I want them to do well. And I found this is key. And I just love it when they love the church and they love coming to church. And it's been really hard on families when their kids say, you know, I don't like going to church. I don't want to go to church. Um, and often I've just seen a connection with, I think the parents are reluctant. You know, I think they don't have the joy of the Lord as they come. It's an obligation. So just one area to think about is, is just the importance of the local church as we do this together. And the importance of gender and sexuality. Um, I think you have to start addressing this at a young age. It's a way to protect and shepherd our kids. It's a huge issue today. It is everywhere. It's prevalent um, you're going to have to address gay marriage at a younger age than I probably did with my kids than I did growing up. Uh, you go out in public, you, you know. I still remember uh, our youngest daughter, Tess, going down to Market Square. She was very little and seeing uh, two ladies together, you know, interacting with each other, a way a husband and wife would, hugging and kissing. And I remember, I mean, she was pretty young, and I remember her just... Like, you know, her eyes got real big, and I was like, all right, time for a conversation. Like, here we go. But um, it's the world we're in right now, and I think we have to protect our kids, understanding this is good the way God created us. Especially in this age range of 6 to 11, they're becoming aware of the differences, male and female. And if you're reluctant to talk about these things, they're going to get their information somewhere. And they have these questions so you can start real basic, you know, just read Genesis. God created two sexes. He created us male and female, you know. Dad's a male. Mommy's a female. This is good. This is the way God made it. This was a good thing. Uh, there's people in our world who think that they, they, don't, they don't like how God created us, and they want to they wanna decide for themselves, and they think it's okay for a man to be married to a man, but that's not the way God designed it. Just real simple, but it's it's shaping their worldview, you know? And it's getting into roles. 
So we're talking about the differences between being male and female. These are important distinctions biblically. Boys, increasingly, as the, as, the, as the boys got older, you know, it's that, man, you're called to lead, you're called to protect, you're called to provide, you know. I'm always instilling in my boys as they get older this worldview of here's what it means to be a godly man. It's protecting women. It's, it's guarding them. That's a good thing. You know, you don't hit your sister. That's like the biggest sin. <laughs> you don't do that. You don't uh, disrespect your mom. Like, oh, man, don't disrespect your mom. You know, especially as the boys get older, they start growing into their britches a little too big and thinking they can start leading. And you just got to remind them you honor women. That's what it means to be a man. For girls, you know, they're increasingly growing into into biblical women who are called to affirm and receive and nurture strength and leadership from godly men. And so you're just building this masculinity and femininity into your children through these years. And a lot of this is modeled in your marriage. So here's how dad acts. Here's how mom acts. Here's how God created us to be husband and wife. Again, Randy Stinson, he says, if mom clings to the boy too much, or there's not a man to gravitate toward, a boy may overwhelmingly identify with his mom and act like her, or he might know in his gut that he's equipped for something else and end up reacting in conflict and resentment that he can't articulate. A dad who leads, provides, and protects gives a boy a model to identify with. A strong dad can also discourage a boy from disrespecting his mom in the transition and instead teach him to honor her as a woman as he follows a path to manhood. This is key for teaching your son how to treat his future wife. So we're just just guarding them, we're protecting them, we're teaching them about gender, sexuality. Um, There's lots of things in the 6 to 11 years where you want to teach your kids things that when they're little it's not appropriate to do anymore. Um, You're really rooting out foolishness in their hearts. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. You know, they can tend to be foolish with these areas. You want to teach them to protect themselves. So there's lots of good training out there. I know if you serve in our children's ministry, we have ministry safe training we do for you. I think that's really helpful. Um, people have asked me, why are we doing this training? Why do we do ministry safe training? It's, it's training against sexual predators. I have found as a dad, it helped me just to go, I want to be alert. I don't want to be naive about this. I want to protect my family. I want to protect my sons and my daughters. And so when we did ministry safe training, it just made me, I, I, I watch who they're playing with in the neighborhood. We don't go in areas where you can't be seen. We don't go into a neighbor's house. You know, if there's any boys in the house, teenage boys, we're not playing inside their house. There's just rules we created to protect them as parents from wolves and from being foolish themselves. They can be foolish. And so you want to create in this age range. You're giving them more freedoms but you're helping them be wise and follow the Lord and shepherding their hearts. Last one is just technology. I kind of already touched on this, but I will just give you guys the the warning. Ted Tripp said the exact same thing um, when he came in and taught our our parents of teens, all the parents. We did a Q&A, and every time the parents would say, ah, what do you do about their phones? How do you get them off their phones? How do you keep them from being on their phones? And Ted Tripp's answer was always the same. You know what his answer was? Who gave him that phone? And their parents were just like, oh. <laughs> you know, and Ted Tripp, he was, 
He was old school. That's why I love Ted Tripp. He was old school. He said, if I would give, if you decide to give them a phone, make them sign a contract that says, this is not your phone. This is my phone. I can take it back at any point if you misuse it. I told people, I'm not big on contracts. I don't like signing. My kids have never signed a contract with me. We don't have a legal obligation. But I do like how when he was giving them a phone, it wasn't, now you're free. You know, like if we think we're going to hand them this and know they're going to know how to use it wisely, I think we're pretty naive. And so I do think what's helpful is you give them a phone. If you decide to give them a phone, you decide how that phone gets used. If they don't use the phone that way, then you're pulling back the freedom, saying, I told you you could do it like this. I see you didn't do it that way. Great, I'm pulling it back now. If you just give them something with not, with no attachments, you know, no wisdom involved, and then you try to take it back, that's what parents do. Um, you may have seen, I saw there was this famous video, several years old now, but it was a video of a son on a porch, and his dad was in the yard, and he had his mower, and he had his Xbox and all his games in the yard, and it's a video, the mom is filming, the son is on the porch, and the son is a teenager losing his mind. He is screaming and crying, and the dad just looks up in the mower and just, and just shoots the Xbox, I mean, just destroys it all, and I was like, Woo, this is not where we want to end up as parents, you know, like, and the kid, I thought he was going to die. I mean, the screams were like demon-possessed screams, just crying out, and I just thought, no, we're not going down this path, you know, uh, so it starts at a young age. If you buy them video games, you just give them free reign to do technology and iPad all day and just jump on it, I would just caution you to have this category of we want to protect our children. It's part of our shepherding their hearts is to protect them. And so be wise, um, be discerning, you know, help them, guide them, talk about um, the best way to use technology and video games, put time limits on it, all that kind of stuff. So this is where I think when that quote from earlier where peers are the biggest influence in their lives instead of parents, I think technology has a huge part to play in that. I think they're just on being influenced. So if they're spending, you know, I can't remember what it was. There was one Brenner we had where, um, Brenner's for our high school uh, students, where I had all the teenagers get out their phones and uh, just we went around and, sh- and showed our screen time. Just, I was like, no judgment zone. I just, you know, we're talking about the wise use of technology. So where are you at? Like, what's the average of our high schoolers in, in CCK? You know, and, uh, you know, it's like, oh, hour and a half. Like, That's good. Uh, mine's at three. But, you know, I listen to this a podcast and, you know, it's not really screen time. It's like, you know, OK, OK, I get it. And there was one kid that had over 10 hours average screen time. Um, and I remember we had a pretty good relationship. I told him, I don't even know how that's possible. Like, do you go to school? You do go to school, right? Like, how many hours in a day can you be on your phone? Uh, but it was just concerning because that's 10 hours of influence. And my thought was, man, there's no way that parent can compete with that 10 hours. Like, y- you know, so that's where technology to me, it's, it's, uh, there's nothing against the phone. You know, technology is... It's kind of a neutral thing. It's how we use it and the influence it has on us. So I would just caution you, especially in that 6 to 11 as they become teenagers, in uh, introducing technology um, 
I would be very cautious against that. I would put controls on it. And I think it, it does come back to bite parents when their kids are teenagers. The biggest question we get from, from uh, parents of teens is how do you pull this back? And my instruction to you is uh, be slow to introduce it. That'd be my caution to you. And you won't have that question later on pulling it back. So um, I know that's a lot and uh, a lot of different categories there. The one the last thing I'll say, we got to go. It's 1130. Promise to be done by 1130 is um, we tried to give you guys some buckets to put things in today at some different ages. I would encourage you to have a lot of conversations about this. So as couples, make sure you're on the same page. That was huge for us, just talking and saying, are we on the same page? Where are we concerned about? You know, husbands, listen to your wives. Uh, They're seeing things. They're discerning things with the kids. So often that's been my greatest asset is Elizabeth will say, are you paying attention to this? Are you aware of this? And I just thank you. I need to I need to get engaged. I need to you're seeing something. I need to pay attention. We get on the same page as couples and then have conversations together. Learn from each other. Me, Jake, uh, we'd love to talk to you. Pastors are always available. We want to help you. Um, We want to serve you. And, And more than anything else, we just want our kids to grow up loving the Lord uh, loving the church, you know, being in a safe place where they're just protected and they're understanding just the good news of who God made us to be. That's our goal. So, Lord, I pray for all the parents here this morning. Uh, I pray for this investment of their time coming and listening and being taught. I pray there'd be just some points this morning that, that stick in their mind and their hearts and help them. And I pray that we would all grow as parents. Lord, you're doing a work in us. We're being sanctified day by day. We're growing, and that has an impact on our kids. So sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth, Lord. Sanctify us. Help us grow. Help us to repent of anger and frustration and laziness where we are, Lord. Give us faith. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with help from above to be godly, diligent parents so that our children may be blessed, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.